Really glad to see everybody today. If you're a guest with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Thrilled that you decided to worship with us. We wanna invite you to stop by in the commons or in the back of auditorium too. You can stop by guest services after the service and they would love to answer any questions that you might have about Fellowship Greenville. We know there's a lot of places that you could be today. We know there's a lot of great gospel-centered churches here in the area. So the fact that you would come hang out with us, we do not take that for granted. Thanks so much for being here. And if Fellowship is your church home, if this is your place, it's great to see you as well. You may be going, you know what? You might've been having a conversation with your spouse uh, on the way here, or maybe with your kids, or maybe by yourself in your car. And you were saying, I need to get more plugged in at Fellowship Greenville. You know, I kind of show up every now and then, but that's about it. And you wanna get more plugged in. Well, if that's the conversation you were just having, we have a place called Next Steps, also the back of auditorium too and out in the commons today and you can stop by after the service and there'll be some folks there that could help you take your next step in belonging here finding community here serving here it's not just that we would like for you to do that we actually have spent time putting a pathway together for that to happen for you or for you and your family so stop by next steps if you are interested a few observations i do love the carpet it looks phenomenal in here uh it looks really really good if you have actually already spilled coffee on the carpet would you stand up so we can boo you just stand up. We're going to boo you right now. It's going to happen. Okay. Th oh, you really did? Okay, awesome. Right here, our first spill. You know, the kind of person who would admit to that would have uh, a brass section following them around throughout the week. And I like that about you. I know we don't, it's just fantastic. Um, a lot of people did work really hard for this to be able to happen over the course of this past week and it looked really great. I wasn't in town. I was in Syracuse this past week for a few days meeting with some pastors. And so I just asked a few people to send me some pictures of everything and it looked really, really great as it unfolded throughout the course of the week. They did all of this in one week, phenomenal. Um, Syracuse was great, side note. I get together with pastors on a regular basis. This group of pastors that I meet with once or twice a year, they're from Iowa and Ohio and North Carolina and uh, New York. York, obviously, and then us here from South Carolina, and just a time to actually talk about gospel saturation in different parts of our country. And I absolutely love it. There's a pastor there from Maryland, nobody else there from Virginia. Anyway, all that to say, it was a very, very encouraging time for me. Uh, sometimes we get so focused just in our space and our world, which is a totally fine thing to be focused on, but I like every now and then to be able to pull my head up and look at what the Lord's doing. Obviously, we're very connected at Fellowship Greenville across the globe, but also just wanting to be intentional about things nationally. Uh, one of my good buddies was there. He's from Iowa, a town of 1,400 people where he and a few others are currently planting a church in the cornfields of Iowa. I love that kind of stuff and learning about what the Lord is doing. And so that was a uh, that was fantastic uh, week for me. Also exciting news this week, I got a report that uh, my cholesterol is way down. So that's good. I, uh, yeah, no, no, it's fine. I can talk about it. It's uh, not a HIPAA violation, it's my cholesterol. Uh, Last year, I went to the doctor for my physical and he said, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a problem. Uh, your cholesterol, you need to, to make some changes to your life. And I said, I can do that. I can be pretty disciplined when I wanna be. And so I've been eating pretty great, honestly. I've been doing, doing real well, a lot of apples, brown rice and grilled chicken and nuts. That's basically been it. It's been sad, but it's good. <laughs> I shop in the part of the grocery store. You go in, it's like the sad part. Like, just what it says more on the outer edges. It's just real sad out there. But I did it and I'm gonna keep doing it pretty much. But like I had to turn down the beacon several, there was a lot going on. There's a lot of things that I had to say no to, but I got it and it was really, really good. So I was happy about that. Some of you are going, why are you talking about your cholesterol for this long? Um, Cause we're a big church and sometimes in big church, it's kind of hard to know like the team, right? It's hard to know your pastor. So this is how this is gonna work. In the next week or two, you're gonna be out 
on the town and you're gonna be with a friend somewhere and then you're gonna see me and then you're gonna go, that's my pastor over there, his cholesterol is really low. <laughs> and they're gonna go, that's amazing that you know that for such a big church. I'm gonna come check it out. Uh, I'm not filling time because I wasn't supposed to preach today. I've got a lot to say. Charlie was supposed to teach today and he's a little bit under the weather. He's probably watching online, maybe taking a nap, gonna watch it later. Charlie, we hope you feel better. So uh, not only were the Atlanta Braves going to the bullpen a lot this weekend, uh, Fellowship Greenville to the bullpen, asking me if I could step in and said, I would be happy to do that. We're teaching through the book of James and I'm so excited about that because I love the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, would you open them up to James chapter one and we'll get there momentarily, James chapter one. Uh, one of the things I love about James, it's a very straight to the point book of the Bible. Some would say that it's incredibly practical and I think it is. I've also found it to be incredibly challenging. And here's what I mean. James, he writes in such a way that you can't help but examine what you say you believe about Jesus and at the exact same time, how you're living for Jesus and whether or not those two things match up, yeah? Is there congruence between what we say we believe and how we actually are living our life? And here we are, we're living in 2022 by the sovereignty of God, right? You could have lived at any point in human history, you realize this, and yet you are here on this planet at this time. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are actually here with a purpose. And that purpose, it seems for all of us, that purpose is to make much of him in the places that you daily do life. You're a missionary in your places, I'm a missionary in my places, and we've all got different places, but we're there with the same purpose to make much of Jesus in the gospel in all our places. And you would as a Christ follower, and I would as a Christ follower, proclaim certain things biblical things, truthful things about who God is and who you are in Christ. And yet there are these constant challenges throughout the scriptures written to followers of Jesus to remind them, to encourage them, to lovingly challenge them, to constantly examine whether what they say they believe and how they're actually living, if those things match up. And the practicality of James is a constant reminder, it's an encouragement, it's a loving challenge. That also applies to us. Life in Jesus Christ changes you. And those changes should be observable to those that you do life with. And I'm not saying that that's needed more now in 2022 than at other times in history but it's definitely not less needed. You see, I think one of the issues we face is that words are really cheap in our culture. I'm not saying that words don't matter, they definitely do. But people throw around words and most folks, most of you here in the room or if you're watching online, most of you have lived long enough, you're smart enough, maybe you've been burned enough not to put too much stock in words of certain people. Show me is what a lot of people might think or actually what they might articulate. 
And here's why that matters. To say that you are a Christian in our culture, to say that you're a follower of Jesus, some people write you off immediately because of what they have already observed by some who claim to follow Jesus. And if they don't write you off, they think and or might actually say to you, show me. And James in a very straightforward way articulates how we live our lives should match up with what we're saying. But he does it from a real uh, pastoral heart. And I love that about him too. As a matter of fact, let me remind you about James and the folks he's writing in this letter. Um, I know we did a little bit of this on the front end of the series several weeks ago, but we've had people joining us along the way. So just a quick recap. James is the half brother of Jesus. He played a really important role in the growth of the church in Jerusalem. You can read more about that in Acts 12 and Acts 15. The apostle Paul, he also talks about James in Galatians 1 and in Galatians 2. But before we talk about his role in the early church, I don't wanna rush past this because that's pretty interesting. What would it have been like growing up as the half brother of Jesus Christ? I mean, you wanna talk about a favorite sibling thing going on, right? Like that's a running joke in a lot of people's families. Well, mom and dad love you most. And then you've got Jesus and all of his half brothers and half sisters. For those siblings, would there have been times probably of frustration, aggravation, jealousy, and comparison? Yeah, probably so. As a matter of fact, before we study even more in James 1 today and how he writes, James writes from a place of pastoral care and concern, let's actually go back into the gospel of Mark and read a couple of things. In Mark 3, what we see is that life change truly happens when somebody comes to follow Jesus, even if Jesus happens to be your half brother. This is what it says in Mark 3, verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again, him being Jesus, so that many could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. That's what his family was saying about Jesus. It says this in Mark 6, verses one through three. He went away from there. Again, Jesus came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Verse two says, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him, they were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are these not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So these verses would indicate James was around and not only was he around at first, he really wasn't on board with what Jesus was saying and doing and proclaiming. So think of the shift that has happened personally in James' life as he writes these words. From skeptical brother to firmly entrenched believer to leader in the movement that followed in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection. Why? Because Jesus and the gospel really does change people. So all these years later, as a pillar of the early church, he had some significant influence. And in this letter he writes, he's writing Jewish Christians who had been scattered across the Mediterranean world because of persecution. And don't rush past this either. As you process these words that we're gonna look at today, think about their world, your world if it were you. Driven from your home to a different place 
around different people because you follow Jesus Christ. Attempting to start over in a new land with all of that, all the challenges of that. And in the midst of that, you get a letter from your pastor that is written to encourage you by reminding you that your orthopraxy should match your orthodoxy. To live as we claim to love in our passionate pursuit of God, because in our world, oftentimes, words are cheap. Show me the way you live your life that Jesus and the gospel actually change your life. But as you can imagine, if you're thinking about what it would have liked to have been them back in the day, where right, this you and your family, they're walking through really hard and difficult times. Trials and suffering are real for them. They are not hypothetical. I mean, James encouragement to them early in this letter, I'll reread it, we've already talked through it. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. Those are not simply words to save up for a rainy day when things kind of stink. They're applicable to them in the moment because for them in that moment, life stinks. And it's not a, I'm having a bad week. It's not a, I'm having a bad month. Like it's hard and it's gonna continue to be hard. And in the middle of their trials, temptations are plentiful, which is often the case when suffering seems constant. The things of this world dangle in front of them, promising them they will satisfy their pain and their suffering. They need wisdom to navigate all of that. Now, some of this you can't relate to as we fast forward to 2022. As in, I'm not aware of many of you in this room or watching online that have arrived from a foreign land because of a persecution for following Jesus. Although that is true for so many, maybe listening in today, but definitely around the globe still happens all the time. But it's not most of our stories. What is most of our stories that we can relate to here is we have walked some of us are currently walking, all of us will walk through hard and difficult times. Trials and suffering, they are a part of everybody's story of grace. And a theology of suffering is imperative to navigating suffering well. And maybe I'm super sensitive to this and I feel like I talk about it a good bit. Maybe it's because of the front row seat I have to sit with a lot of people on their worst days. But everybody has really bad days at some point. Nobody's escaping walking through this life without pain and suffering trials. I'm teaching this, getting ready for today, studying back through my notes and stuff. And also yesterday I'm at a funeral for a four-year-old boy that passed thinking of this family that I care about and what they're processing and thinking through. How do you navigate it? 
And in the midst of our trials, what so many of you could testify to, what I could testify to is that in the midst of our trials and suffering, temptation is plentiful. The things of this world, just like for the early church here, the things of this world dangle in front of us, promising that they will satisfy our pain and that they will satisfy our suffering, but they won't. They never have, no matter how many times you and I have given into them. They won't and they haven't because they can't. And just like these early Christians that James is addressing, we need wisdom to navigate that. And one of the things that I love about James is that he gives some very practical, sound advice for navigating difficult days and trials and suffering. He lays out actually what it looks like to live and walk in wisdom practically, not just for them, for us. I'll let you in on a little something. As a, as a teacher who teaches the Bible, um, writes sermons, sometimes as pastors, uh, we're in a passage, we're studying, we're getting ready to preach something and we find ourselves like struggling a little bit with like application. Like that happens sometimes. I don't know if you know that or not. I think the team here does such a fantastic job of it. So maybe you don't think about it, but sometimes like, I don't know how to apply this, honestly. And then you have, <laughs> and then you have weeks like this week, which is fantastic. Just before I read it, I'm pretty excited. Application won't be an issue for us. You ready? James 1, verse 19. Here's what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Isn't this great? Like not one of you, as I was just reading through that thought, ah, I don't get that. I don't understand. Like that's never a, I'm glad some people are here today, but that's not my thing. You didn't for a split second think, oh, that's not me. Never an issue for me. So practical, not simply practical for you and me, it's practical for the folks who received the letter from James. It's practical application for them in regards to applying wisdom in the midst of difficulty and trials and suffering. James has mentioned wisdom already. I read it a moment ago. Let me read it again, verse five of chapter one. If any of you lack wisdom as you walk through trials, let him ask God who gives wisdom generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. Wisdom here, it simply means God given discernment regarding the practical issues of life. And these are the practical issues of life in the midst of difficulty of life. How we hear from people, how we speak to others, how we respond when things are hard, how we live our life because Jesus and the gospel really do change everything for followers of Jesus. Let me pose this question to you. Over the past few weeks or months, have any of you thought to yourself as you've interacted with others, either in person or maybe online, wow, that person really likes to talk a lot. Or have you thought this, that person seems pretty angry. 
Maybe you phrase it this way, which is the way that I like to phrase it. Uh, they seem opinionatedly angsty. Yeah. Or maybe you've realized over the last few weeks or over the last few months or over the last couple of years that you're the angry one. That you talk too much. That you just gotta say, I can't let it go. I can't, I can't let it go. Or I don't listen well. What we're looking at today isn't just isolated to you individually. I kind of wanted to point that out. I mean, James is writing all the Christ followers there. Like this, this is for us. Like it's a spiritual formation that shapes and transforms an entire community of believers. Is Fellowship Greenville known as a place where the people who are the place are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. They have a wisdom for navigating the difficulties of life because it's not like people at Fellowship Greenville don't have difficulties in life, of course they do, but how they're navigating that's different and the world you're living in on purpose because God has you where he has you on purpose. Those people are looking, there's something different. It's not that your life's easy but how you're navigating it is different. What's that about? Well, when you follow Jesus, it really does change everything. There's a congruence between what I say I believe and how I'm actually living my life. James is so purposeful in this letter, he's writing to those that he loves. He's not just uh, throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall, hoping that something sticks. Wisdom, uh, trials, temptations. Let's talk about talking and listening. And, and like he's not, it's not like shotgun. Led by the Holy Spirit, right? There's a flow to this letter. And one of the major themes throughout these chapters is that these Jewish believers are not simply uh, being morally formed for the sake of moral formation or behavior modification. They're being spiritually transformed in the midst of their steadfastness. They're being spiritually transformed in the midst of their perseverance. They're being spiritually transformed in the midst of their maturing through their love and service of one another, all in the midst of great trials and great suffering. Look back at verse 19 with me. Know this. So that phrase is a command, it's an imperative. I want you to understand this. I want you to believe what is being communicated. That's what James is saying. Know this, keep going with me. What is it? Know this, my beloved brothers. So quick reminder, he loves them. They're brothers and they're sisters in Christ. I'm gonna offer you some practical wisdom but before I offer you this practical wisdom, James says, I want to tell you, I love you. And now some God-given, God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues of life because all of you are in some tough spots. And here it is. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I love how all-encompassing this is, right? You could read it this way. Let every person be quick to hear. Let every person be slow to speak. 
Let every person be slow to anger, right? There's no off ramp for personality tests or disc profile or some Enneagram number that doesn't apply to you. Nope, every person. This is what I did when I was studying this week. I went back and put my name in there. Let Jason be quick to hear. Let Jason be slow to speak. Let Jason be slow to anger. You guys wanna give it a try? Let's do it. All right, uh, I'm gonna be quiet for just a moment and there quietly, you just put your name in and say each one of those just quietly there in your seat. I'll give you about 10 seconds, go ahead. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Practical counsel. Some of you might say, Jason, things are so difficult and they're so hard right now. And I'm looking for some godly wisdom to navigate all the tension and all the noise and all the angst that's around me. Okay, great. Uh, Not advice from Jason to you. I'm just gonna give you some advice that uh, God has given. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to get angry. And you might go, yeah, 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 right, I know. But here's the thing, the folks that are reading this from James for the first time, they would have already known this. They too would have known what James is saying to them. They're Jewish Christians, meaning they would have known the Old Testament teachings on wisdom and speech and anger. They're all over. As a matter of fact, here's just a one sampling from Proverbs 17. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. They knew it. They knew it and James is still saying it to them. Hey, I just want to remind you. Just a side note on this, like I do think like for those of us that teach here, that's a big part of what I feel like we're called to do. Like when we get together on Sunday and open up the word, I wanna remind you. I know that might not be the, history that you have with the church. I don't know everybody's history with the church and other pastors you've been around and stuff. I get that there are some people who are newer in their faith or maybe they're checking out what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so they're here and they might be hearing some things. I've never, I've never heard that before. That's an okay thing. But you need to know from my perspective, I don't ever open up the word to say something to you that all of you go, oh yeah, never heard that before. I wanna remind you of things. I think what James is articulating here, when I read that, I go, he's being so, the word I think of is the word deliberate. That means careful. It means uh, thorough consideration. So I don't know where you're, mind might be running as we're talking about it, but quick to hear doesn't mean only listen. Slow to speak doesn't mean never talking. What that means is deliberately, carefully, thoroughly hear, which has the potential to lead me to deliberately, carefully speak. And the opposite of that deliberate and careful and thorough listening and speaking is often anger. 
If we don't listen well, if we are determined to be heard most, anger is often the byproduct. And we are living in a time where so many people aren't interested in listening. And we are living in a time when it seems that everybody wants to be heard most. Their talking is anything but slow. And where do we find ourselves? In a cultural moment, in a world, sadly sometimes within the confines of the church where people are angry. I'm not sure what you think about when you think about anger, whether you think of an action or a reaction, maybe you think of an actual person. Some of you grew up around people who you would describe, said, describe this person in one word, you would say they were an angry person. Or maybe to make it a bit more uh, palatable, we say they have a short fuse. So while I think the most common way people think about anger is like, you know, someone just flying off the, flying off the handle, uncontrolled outburst of frustration, like that definitely is anger. I believe here, James is actually speaking based on everything that's going on. I think James is speaking to the idea of a deep-seated, right underneath the current of your life, angst. Like a boiling angstiness or for some of you, you would describe it for yourself, like just right under the surface is just rage. It's not always flying out, but when the stresses of life hit it, boom. I believe that's what James is writing. Again, he's writing to a group of people where things are tough and things are gonna be tough. I believe anger oftentimes is the evidences of distorted loves. So, um, I believe I want this, I believe I need this, I definitely want my life to go like this. If people and or God would only see it, whatever it is, like I see it, or I need you to understand it like I understand it. So that when something or someone stands in the way of what we want or think we need, oftentimes anger is our reaction or it just sits underneath of our everyday because those circumstances aren't changing, it just sits there. I love these two quotes by Tim and Kathy Keller, authors, Tim's a pastor in New York. Tim says it this way, anger is often the resulting expression when something we love is endangered. Therefore, an appropriate, often helpful question in the moment of anger is this question. What am I loving so much right now that my heart is moved to feel angry. Kathy says it this way, pull up your uncontrollable emotions by the roots and you'll find your idols clinging to them. And I knew I was obviously talking about quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. I just. I want you to think more broadly about anger than just the outburst in a moment because you might be quick to dismiss this from James if you consider yourself not really that angry of a person because you don't fly off the handle or something. 
And here's what I mean. Uh, for some, anger is the undercurrent of all of their life, and that can take root in a lot of different forms. So you can be angry and scream at someone, but you can also be equally as angry and never speak to someone. Your anger can be active, your anger can be passive. You can cuss someone out because you're angry. They've gotten in the way of what you think you need or you want. You can equally just slander someone because you're angry and they've gotten in the way of how you think things should go from your perspective. You can go full road rage on the road as you drive when you are angry. And you can also just as easily walk through all of life bitter about everything and never raise your voice. Because your needs, your wants, your desires have been thwarted from your perspective. Some of you have raised your voice in person or via social media and it's obvious to everybody around you that you're angry. Others of you have never raised your voice, but sitting right under the surface of everyday life is a lot of angst and rage. It's a both and, not an either or. So the question I ask myself as I'm studying through this is why is James saying this to them even though they already know what the scriptures would have to say about it? Because he knows. He's a pastor who knows his people. He knows that they're walking through trials and suffering. He knows that life is hard. And he knows in the midst of trials and suffering, he wants to encourage them not to allow anger to sit underneath the every minute of every day. And I know the same is true in our current climate in this moment in time for us. We all need the reminder of what practical wisdom for navigating life looks like. Look back at verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So help, like this is really helpful. James knows how people think, people who wanna make excuses when confronted with truthful reminders. He knows that as some are reading this letter, it's what some of you actually may be saying today as you're listening to us talk about it. What you may be tempted to say is, but my anger is okay anger. James, if you knew my situation, you'd understand my response. You would know why I lash out, why I'm constantly angry. What some of you might even be tempted to think is that God's okay with your anger because from your perspective, it's a right anger. I've always been intrigued at how quickly we can justify our human anger and attempt to put God's stamp of approval on our angst. James says our response and attitudes towards the disordered loves in our life, our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not produce living that is pleasing with God. It's incongruent. 
or maybe I can say it this way, human anger rarely produces the kind of righteousness that is characteristic with the heart of God. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God is righteous at all times. And while expressing any of his emotions, he's never unrighteous. So can God be righteously angry? Yes. We, however, know very little of righteousness and anger commingling with such consistency. And James, he knows that all three of these issues are interconnected, listening and speaking and anger. He says this in verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now I love this because lest you think that you have a heavy burden around your neck as you leave here today of listening more and speaking less and being slow to get angry in a world where it seems so easy to get angry or live angry. James reminds those he loves about what God is up to in their life, even in the midst of the trials and the hard times and the temptations that they face. Even when the temptation is to run off at the mouth and be angry, he says, put away, throw aside, Filthiness and rampant wickedness is the imagery of tossing aside your dirty clothes. This terminology is used other places throughout scripture. And the follow-up from putting off or throwing aside is to put on. But James very intentionally says, see how he says it? Receive the implanted word. Now, why would James use those words? I believe it's because he wants to remind them of the one who is actually producing life change in their life. Again, this is the tension for these Jewish Christians. Spiritual transformation or behavior modification. What God is working in and through my life as a son and daughter of his or try harder to do better. James does not want them to simply think that this is all about some new behaviors for them to start practicing. This is about what the word of God is producing in their life. Like when you read implanted word in this context, that's referring to the gospel. It is the regenerating work of the word of the gospel. One author said it this way, the implanted word of the gospel is like oxygen to the Christian. To receive it is to embrace life. To reject it is like choosing not to breathe. So be encouraged, like this is fantastic news. As we receive the implanted word of the gospel in cooperation with the work of the spirit through the written word of God, we are being shaped, we are being transformed. We are increasingly not easily angered because we are being reminded daily of our true love, our first love, the one love that nothing can get between. So I don't need to shoot off at the mouth because I'm secure in him. I can actually listen, truly listen to other people. I don't need to be angry. I don't need to live angry. Why? Because the gospel has and is and will continue to change me. Like this is, uh, you guys hear us use this phrase a lot. I've said it for a long time. Like preach the gospel to yourself every day. Like that's not just a, like, I right, preach the gospel to yourself every day. It's so, so cute. 
clever. No, like there's a, there's a practicality to this. The implanted word is producing the righteous characteristics of the gospel. We are breathing in and living out the realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ that are alive in us. This is then what produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Who implanted the word? Who provided the life change? Who has altered your life now and for all of eternity? Look back at verse 18. I know we're not in 18 today, but let's just go back and touch on it really quick because this, again, it's all tied together. This is what James has already said to them before talking about this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the gospel there. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What has God done for them? What is James reminding them of before encouraging them, right? Listen, don't yap, don't be angry. It's like on both ends, right? I wanna remind you that he has brought us forth by the gospel, the word of truth. He chose you. In the midst of your trials in this life, you don't have to blame him. You don't have to blame other people. You don't have to give in to temptation. You don't have to choose sin because it's easier from your point of view or a better perceived love for you in the moment of hardship. Don't be deceived. He has brought you forth through the gospel. It's happened and it's happening. The trials of life do not define you. The temptations of this world do not hold a candle to the one who gives the good and perfect gift of wisdom in the midst of your hardship. So, look back at verse 21. Receive it with meekness. The word meek is often misunderstood for weak, but this isn't about weakness. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Let me say it this way. People who are meek are a people who trust God for the outcomes of their life. They don't have to attempt to grab life by the arm and twist it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you continue to think that you gotta try to make it work out your way. They don't have to manipulate it. They don't have to manipulate people. They don't have to control circumstances in an effort to bend those circumstances towards their perceived preference or control. They need not speak often. They need not be angry because in meekness, in humility, they receive the implanted word because they are loved and cherished by the one who has implanted it. The one who has brought them forth by his own will. And it has saved their soul. I mentioned it earlier, but I close with it here. Uh, What we discussed this morning matters in our cultural moment. I pray that we individually would be known as a people who have meekly received the gospel. We live in the reality day in and day out that he has brought us forth. And that's a game changer.
So as we conclude our time together this morning, I just wanna create some space for us to ponder and consider and hear from the Spirit. So you can bow your heads and close your eyes. I just wanna ask you a few questions. Talk to the Spirit of God about it. Would those who know you best say that you are quick to listen? Like because of the gospel, because of who you are in him, beloved daughter, beloved son, child of the king, Would those who know you best say that you're slow to speak? Again, because of the gospel. In a culture that says he or she who shouts the loudest and his most outraged wins. Will we individually and as a body here at Fellowship Greenville live from our true identity Would those who know you best say that you're slow to anger? For some of you, that's a processing through, like you have a quick temper. For others of you, I think it's a acknowledgement that angst and some sort of rage sit right underneath the surface of all of life for you because things haven't gone like you thought they should. And then lastly, what other loves, while not necessarily bad, are out of order in your life? Which might be leading to not listening well, speaking too quickly, living pretty angry. Thanks for listening to the spirit in the moment and being honest with those questions. Now, here's how I encourage you to close our time. Take just a moment and thank the Lord for the implanted word. Thank the Lord that by his will and for his glory and fame, he has brought you forth if you are his kid. Thank him for practical, tangible, usable advice 
on navigating the hardships of life. Ask him to continue to remind you daily of the hope of the gospel. Which is the only true and lasting motivation for any and all life change. Father God, may we live in the reality of who we are in you. That by your will, you have brought us forth. Through humility and meekness, we have received the implanted word. May that and that alone continue to be the only motivation for congruence in our life between what we say we believe and how we actually live each and every day. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen.